You're listening to season two of Kids Cue the Music, a podcast where we talk to musicians, composers, performers, and kids. Kids like you. We're asking the questions you've always wondered but never had the chance to ask. And we'll listen to music to see what makes it so interesting and fun and sometimes strange. Because music is for you. I am your co-host, Sarah Lane. And I am your co-host, Rebecca Lane, Sarah's mom and director and owner of the Lane School of Music. Let's Let's cue the music <laughs> <laughs> welcome to another episode of kids cue the music uh, you can say your name you want me to say my name first i am your co-host rebecca lane and i am the ultimate host she's just there for show and um i'm the host and my name is zara lane or z or zaza or whatever or i don't know what are you going by today my dear zara Z head Zara Zedhead is here in the house, ladies and gentlemen, people, all the wonderful humans of the world. And we are here today with a wonderful guest named Deborah Patey. Deborah or Debbie, what would you like us to call you today? We had this conversation already. Are you there? And what should we call you? Hi, I'm here. You can call me Debbie. Hi, Debbie. So nice to meet you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me here. This is so exciting. Debbie is a music educator and composition teacher and probably many more things that we don't even know about yet. So we're going to find out, Zara. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? What instrument or instruments you play and how you got started as a musician and what you do now as a professional musician? Sure. So I started as a musician, I guess, when I was little. My parents put me into piano lessons. We didn't even have a piano. We started, I started on a cardboard that had sort of the keyboard printed out. And I did that oh. for years till we finally got a piano. So I was looking at piano and then eventually in school, also violin. And I studied both of those all through my time being in school. And then I decided to go to university for violin and I studied then to be a music teacher because at that time I decided that was absolutely what I wanted to do. So I carried on studying violin in university. And the really cool thing about university when you go to study, become a music teacher is that you learn all sorts of other instruments too. So I had to learn woodwinds and brass and other string instruments as well. So it was a really great education. So I play a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but I still play the violin. But my main profession is that I am a music teacher at a secondary school, at a high school. Do you have any questions so far, Zara? Because I have a million. Okay, I'm going to count for you. You're going to count the questions I have. Yeah, and I'm going to prove that you don't have a million. Okay, fine. I only you're, 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 But it feels like a lot. And the first one is, Debbie, <laughs> tell us about this cardboard piano. Sure. It was... Literally just a piece of cardboard that extended out in front of me, went nice and wide, and it had the image of a keyboard on it. And I would just sit there and put my fingers on the white keys and the black keys, and I would imagine what they sounded like. And then I would go to my lessons, and then I would come back and continue imagining. I have so many questions. Did it work? Like, did you, did it, did it help? It, oh, it must be like the cardboard violin we used. Yes, you used a cardboard violin when I you were small. There, there is one made out of like, you had a cardboard violin made out of a ruler for a bow. It's, ruler for the neck of the violin. What was for the bow? It was like a wooden dowel. Debbie, what I'm really curious about was how old were you when you were using this cardboard piano? 
I was pretty little. I can't remember exactly, but I would say I was definitely no older than six years old. Once they, my parents decided that this was going to be an ongoing thing, whether that was something I decided or they did, I don't remember. But we did eventually get a piano and moved on from there. I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> I got a piano. I got a piano. How many days ago did I get it? I think it's been about a week, maybe two weeks. Yeah, I got a piano two, four weeks ago. And that was only two questions, by the way. I got a piano two weeks ago, and um, I've been playing ever since. And um, what else? It, well, Dara's been composing, so we have some questions for you. Maybe you should listen to the composing podcast. We did one of Zara's compositions. Oh, amazing. Yeah. You teach composition classes at Claude Watson Secondary Arts Program. How do you teach composition? Do you make up music and see what sounds good? That's what I do. I fumble with the keys on the piano because piano is one of the easiest. I think it's probably the easiest instrument to write compositions on because you just fumble with the keys and then you find something good and you're like, ooh, I'm going to write a melody for this and it turns into this whole entire thing that later 1000 years later is famous i like a couple hundred years ago but debbie mm-hmm. can you tell us about how you teach composition because that's what we're here to learn about i mean i guess going to your question about do you just make up music and see what sounds good that could certainly be part of it and i think zara like you were saying on the piano that's a big part of it is experimenting and deciding what you really like and what what you don't like and what makes sense to you as a as a musician and as a composer. That's a big part of it. When we're teaching, one of the things we'd like our students to really think about is lots of different aspects of what they're making up and, and composing sounds good. And so what we call it them is like the musical elements. So you know how like a person's body is made up of different elements. We've got bones, we've got skin, we've got hair and all sorts of other guts and stuff like that inside. Yeah. So there's music. I mean, not the skin and the bones and everything, but we have different Well, elements. I guess it is kind of skin and bones because you could say okay. like the main, maybe the, what you start off with is probably the bone. And then what is the newest part of the song is probably the skin. Yeah. And that's it. I, li- I love well, you think like that. How, you know how you get cuts or something? That makes sense because like you could you could play the the song wrong or you don't like that part. Oh, so you're taking the analogy really far. I like it. But you know what? It is good. And it's nice to think of that as an analogy in a lot of ways because music is different from one piece to the next, just like human bodies are. But they're made up of certain things that are essential, like a melody, rhythm, how fast or how slow, how loud, how soft, how it sounds. And how many different instruments might be playing things. So we talk about a lot of that stuff when we're teaching music and really asking our students to really think about these sorts of things. And then from there, a lot of it can be about really sounding what's good while thinking about all these things. But it's also really about coming up with a really specific task and really targeting what the focus is. So sometimes it could be about thinking about a storyline and really writing something that creates that storyline. Something Sometimes the music can go towards something that they are collaborating with or working with other students on. So for example, one of my classes right now, they're just starting to write music for silent films. And they're working in groups and they're creating music that's going to be the background for some of these silent films. Like a music video kind of? Yeah. And so music videos is like somebody can make one for the Olympics. It's like people doing jumps on a snowboard and it has a dramatic 
song in the background. Maybe, can you tell us, Debbie, what a silent film is? Because I think a lot of kids are sure. maybe not aware of what that means. So a silent film is where you see the video and you see all of the actions, but there's absolutely no sound that goes with that video. You can see the story is told without any sound. And the job of musician or musicians is to create that sound and to help create the energy, the atmosphere or the, the, does it sound spooky? Is it scary music to go with a scary scene? Or is it really happy music to go with a happy scene or something interesting happening, like someone climbing a ladder and what that might be like? And so coming up with music that really helps represent the emotions that people are feeling in, in the video are very important. I specifically remember I always did my stop motion and I never put any songs in it. And it, they were pretty boring because mm-hmm. I, I don't think I knew that it had a song button on it. But I was always doing it and it, it was kind of awkward watching it because it was just like... Just completely silent. So, no, it wasn't silent. It was like it had somebody walking up and it was like, hi. And somebody was like, oh, yeah, that's nice to hear that. Yeah, you're happy today. And it had all the, it all this, it had all this stuff in it, but it didn't have any music. And then I made one, like, I think for like a little show thing where people shoot movies. I found the audio button and I clicked it and then it had all these songs in it. And there was this really good one. It was like cheering, cheery Monday or something. And I put it in. It was really good. And it makes all the difference. It makes a difference. It's not like, oh, and I am happy. It just really sets the tone for yeah. how, yeah, the, the video. Because they don't have the best songs. They have like, they have a lot of the same songs. Well, you've been composing your own music for your, your stop motion video. It still has background noises. Do you want me to read this one or do you want to read it? We recently interviewed Yiliang Zoom from the Bedford Trio on our podcast. You have worked with the Bedford Trio before. That is really exciting. Please tell us how you know them and how you have worked together. We've had the pleasure of working with the Bedford Trio here at Claude Watson for, I think this is the fourth year. And we were actually introduced to them through the Griffin Trio, which is another piano trio. Oh, I think we also interviewed somebody from the community. We didn't, but... but oh, I thought we did. Jia Liang told us about oh. how she worked with the Griffin Trio. Oh. So the Griffin Trio used to actually come into our school and do a very similar project to what the Bedford Trio is doing now. And eventually we had the opportunity to be introduced to Bedford Trio who came on and are working with our grade 11 students. And what our grade 11 students do is they will write music specifically for that trio and the trio will visit them at different stages of their music preparation. So they will, the trio will get to see outlines and ideas and brainstorming that the students are doing. Then they'll get to see a first try putting the whole piece together and then another try after that. And then eventually, once the students are really, really happy with their piece, the trio will play through it for them. And so they have an opportunity to actually hear what their pieces sound like performed by a professional trio. It's a huge treat to have them. It makes a real difference to your understanding of a piece to have the chance to really hear it like that. And also in the different stages, because you get to ask those musicians questions, you get to find out more about what worked, what didn't work, and really experiment. And it's really amazing to watch a piece of music develop through that process. And I find that our students learn a lot from that partnership. 
with that relationship that we have with the Bedford Trio. How cool is that? I hope like, I go to a high school that doesn't. Like, I don't. I don't. I hope I don't go to a bad high school. <laughs> you want to go? Well, you want to go to a high school that has a class like this. It just so happens that you you live in the same city as the high school that Debbie teaches called Position. Yeah. No. Can you tell us a little bit about the high school that you teach at and the program that sure. offers a cor- like a class like this? It's so fascinating to me. So the Claude Watson Secondary Arts Program is housed inside Earl Haig Secondary School. We're a school in North York. I think we're the largest secondary school in Toronto. And the Claude Watson Program is actually an audition program where students come in from all across the city of Toronto and they can come into different arts. We have music, drama, visual art, dance, and film arts. And students who show an interest in it and who show a lot of potential in really developing their skills in a particular art will come and work at our school. And so it's a lot of fun to really see students grow through this program. Very cool. And so what, what age do they audition? So the most students audition when they're in grade eight. So when they're 13 and then they start at our school in grade nine, we do have some students who start a little later than that. And they'll, they'll come to our school starting in grade 10 or grade 11 most often. Like transferring from a different high school or something. Transferring from a different high school. But we do start a full class of grade nines. We'll have about 30 students who will join the music, become what's called a music major at our school and focus on music. And what that means is that they get, instead of one class of music out of all of the eight classes that they need to take when they're in grade nine, they get to do two classes of music. And so we get a little more time to really focus on things like composition. So cool. Zara, would you like to go to a high school like that? You have to audition. So it means that you're going to have to continue playing violin and now piano in order to be able to audition on something. And keep composing. That would be so awesome yeah. to hear, hear things like that. And I could bring back some of my old tools. Yep. There you go. And, then, and audition. We, we should probably use the app that turns data into music. into music. Yes. Well, part of composing is learning how to write it down yourself. I have been composing quite a bit lately since I've recently gone a new keyboard and started piano lessons. What advice would you give someone who likes music, which is really, really good? Well, first of all, I would say congratulations on your new piano. That's super exciting. And I'm so excited to hear that you love creating your own music. I think that's a really, you really... You should listen to the podcast episode. It's really good. I can't wait to hear your music. So advice that I would give to someone who's working on creating their own music most importantly, do what you love, like write music or create music that makes you happy or makes you excited or means something to you. Think about focusing on on that and experiment with it. So you might write something out or you might create something and then really be excited with it. But I think the fun thing would be also going through a, a process of experimenting with it. Try it playing it or performing it faster or slower, try different things that you might add to it, the way they sound, try different ways of expressing the music, try things making certain things louder or softer, all sorts of experimenting with your creations, I think would be a really important thing. And the other thing I would advise is get people to listen to your music as much as possible too. So that could be your parents, that could be your friends, that could be other musicians 
it's really great to also get people to try to play your music and not because you're necessarily wanting their opinion, but so that you can grow because when you hear people play or you hear them express their opinion of your music, it really will help you grow and say, oh, I didn't think about thinking about it this way, or I didn't expect it to sound the way it sounds when you're playing it. That surprised me. So what could I do differently? And I think those sorts of things would be really, really great things to try. I did an experiment with the sound one time. It was like I played something that was kind of easy to play that I could use one hand with. And then I I reached up for the sound thing and I turned it up and down, up and down. The volume? Yeah. Oh, interesting. The volume thing. So I went like... Yes. Zara's, you know, the sound that she's cultivating for her personal style is very like much electronic because she's using a keyboard with different sounds on it. Yeah, I use this synthesizer the most. And have you found some things that you really like and some things that you really don't like that in those sounds and experimenting? I really, I very rarely use the electric piano switch or the piano switch. I use the bass switch quite a bit mm-hmm. and the organ a little bit mm-hmm. and the synthesizer most. It is a cool sound. I think that's it. I think that's it's like finding the things you really like, but also find the things that you aren't so much a fan of, I think is also really, really important because that's exactly what you're going to do. You're going to start developing your own style. Well, what I thought of is like, since it has switches, like I could write something that's for like multiple instruments that the switches are for. Like I could play something and then I could, and then I could quickly press one of the other buttons and, and play something else and then so, like, there's a section that the strings play. There's a section that the piano yeah, except it doesn't have strings, which is quite a disappointment, but... I guess we need it's your keyboard. I also went with the synthesizer. That's a pretty standard one on most keyboards. Pretty standard sound. I was telling Zara about software that you can get where you play something on a keyboard and it transcribes it for you. Like, it writes out what the music looks like. Have you yeah. used those? And, like, do you recommend them? Or is it important to learn how to write out what you're playing? I don't know that it's, I haven't used it personally. We, we do use some software and I've used some software that doesn't necessarily require you to do the writing, whether it transcribes it then into or puts it into music so that you can see what it looks like after isn't so much a concern. I think, Mm. I think you are using that software that's still composing. I don't know that writing down the music is a really essential thing. Some of our most famous musicians and composers out there in the world don't know how to read music or write music. So I don't think it's necessarily a skill that is essential to composing. But I think it can be really great to find different software. So you have some that can do exactly what you described. And then there's other ones where if you are interested in learning how to write the music down, there's some great software out there that can really help you do that to make it easier, make sure you don't accidentally put too many notes in one spot, not enough in another spot, that sort of thing. And we'll play it back for you as much as a computer can make it sound lovely or not, but it can it can play it back for you so you can instantly sort of get a sense of what the different parts of your piece sound like together, which can be cool and can be really great way to learn as well. Mm, that's fun. We should try that, Zara, because there are programs that we can get that will... Mm-hmm. There are free ones, actually, to like help you write music. We should get some of those. But I just want to say that, Debbie, that was not the answer I was expecting you to say, that composers don't need to know how to write music or that some composers don't know how to. Like, it's not the worst knowing, but like, 
I was thinking you were going to say, I'm a music educator and everyone should learn how to read and write music. (laughs) Each year we have our students do some kind of project of composing where they actually don't write it down. Or they don't write it down first. If if writing it down is something that we want them to do, that would be more of a task that they would do after. But mm. to like the silent film project that I was telling you before, they aren't actually writing any of that music down. They're finding ways to help remember what they're doing because they're working in groups. So to from one day to the next, okay, how can I remember what I'm doing? But I think composing is really just about that creative idea of putting the music together in a way that's pleasing or to you or important to you. And, and especially now there's so many ways to keep that music alive without having to write it down. Yeah. One of the things that I do to memorize my songs is I memorize what key, what I, I memorize what the key I'm, it starts on looks like. And then I memorize if, it's like where on the keyboard it is like if it's like it's low and then I I don't know where I play I I just know oh yeah sister set on this key how do I know I think it will become easier as you take more piano lessons because you will know what those keys are called okay so let's listen maybe to one of the pieces that your students have worked on the piece that you sent us Debbie is called birth certificate by Adrian Thornton Mark and performed by our very own Bedford Trio. Well, it's not mm-hmm. ours, but we know them a little bit because we've interviewed some of them. And so I'm going to play this clip and then we can chat about it for just a minute and see. It's called Birth Certificate. It's called Birth Certificate. Is there anything about it? I don't know. Is there anything about it that we should know before we listen to it or should we just listen to it? I think we can, we should just listen to it, I would imagine. Yeah, let's just listen to it, then we can talk about it more. Okay, perfect. We'll just listen to it. Thank you. 
somebody's running away. Ooh. Ooh. That's an interesting perspective. What, I mean, I don't want to say what should we be hearing, but what are we hearing in this composition? the The way the rhythm is organized for this piece is really around the day and month of Adrian's birth. And that's kind of how he organized the whole piece and focused it. So the the energy that you're hearing and the intensity of that is really how how he sort of forced himself to organize that. So he gave himself that kind of task of making sure that that's sort of the focus of how things were going to be organized and then developed things that way in terms of how the instruments connected with one another and the style and mood of the piece that he wanted to create. Can you give us a little bit of insight into how he used his day and month of birth in like to create the basis of this? So the time signature that he's used specifically is focused on being the month being the top part of the time signature and the the day being the bottom part of the, sig- oh, cool. the time signature. So he really just organized it that way and then moved forward from there. That's so a lot really of, cool. A lot of fun. And I think what's really great for that project, what I think a lot of students find difficult is that there's they are allowed to do whatever they want and they can create exactly what Zara was saying before with just something that sounds good, just pull it out of thin air. It can be really hard to do that. And so I I love it when a student says, I'm going to write a piece with this goal or this idea. And then it gives them something to hold on to that they can then develop ideas from. And that's exactly what Adrian did. He had one specific idea, but then was able to have lots of freedom around it to choose how the instruments interacted with each other or how how he would place different ideas within mm. the violin, cello, or piano. Yeah, it helps to have something that you're starting from. Yeah. Would you like to play a few rounds of opera or cheese? 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 I would like rounds of opera or cheese. <laughs> Do you know how to play? I have heard one of your podcasts that had opera and cheese or cheese. So maybe opera like, and cheese all at the same time. Do you think opera or cheese? <laughs> Could it be both? Like, do you think there's a, an opera named after a cheese or vice versa? Or an opera about cheese? Ooh, that would be fantastic. So the way that we've started doing it is that Zara is reading the words. Okay. The name of the thing. I've got one. Wait, 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 wait. And it's either an opera or a cheese and you and I will guess what we think it is. This has worked better because I can't pronounce them properly most of the time. And as a musician, I'm embarrassed that I don't know most of the operas. So when Zara reads it, no one's expecting her to know the answer. So she just says whatever. She just, it's okay. I, I'm actually nervous that I, I won't know either. And I, I I'm really bad with operas. <laughs> it's a bit better with pasta or composer, but that one was hard too. Okay, here we go. Opera or cheese? Okay. Sirs. Say that again. Sirs. S-E-R-S-E. So that does sound like sirs, okay. I'm going to go with... Well, you go first, Debbie. Oh, dear. I'm going to go with opera. Okay. I, I was going to go with cheese. Okay. Mm-hmm. Debbie is right, and you were wrong. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> Yay! Total guest. <laughs> okay, next. Number two. Saga. S. 
A G A Saga. Again, Ooh. never have heard of this for an opera or a cheese. I, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with cheese this time. I'm gonna go with cheese as well. I think it's a cheese. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if I just say cheese for everything, some of them will be right. Okay, third and final. This is so nerve-wracking. Tosca? Yes, 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 yes. What do you think, Debbie? Yes. Well, I always thought that that sounded a bit like a salad, but I'm pretty sure... I but think the- that was the name of a pasta. Tosca? Yeah. Oh, or, or is it, we, we sit for a pasta composer. Interesting. Okay, sorry. Go ahead, Debbie. I'm pretty sure that one's an opera. I agree. I believe that's an opera as well. Yes, it's an opera. It's an opera. Does it say who the composer is? Do you know who the composer is, Debbie? I should. Me too. Don't. <laughs> really? No, I really hope I'm. Uh, oh, Puccini. 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 That was one. Both of them are one of the pastors or composers. It must be Italian. It's probably Italian. Yeah. I wonder what Tosca means. Maybe it means cheese. Maybe it means cheese. It should mean cheese. Should mean something that. You- and it goes right. Okay. Sarah, I think you should write an opera about cheese after all of these podcasts. Yeah, maybe I should do something on the piano and it has a song to go along with it. Cheese, cheese, wonderful cheese. <laughs> I want to eat cheese all the time that I live. Cheese, cheese. Everybody eats cheese, but some people don't like cheese on its own. You must have it on bread. You must have it on ham. You must have it on something. I don't know what other than ham. And then bring back the chorus again. Cheese, 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 cheese. I will eat cheese all my life. Oh, cheese, 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 cheese. I will eat cheese, cheese all I live. Everybody, please eat cheese. Everybody loves cheese. But some people are very unfortunate because they don't like cheese. And I like cheese on its own. It's disgusting. <laughs> cheese, opera, opera, cheese, opera, or cheese. Thank you, Zara. That was lovely. And actually, we have an episode coming up where you get to like, she's going to, Zara's going to tell us what she thinks the plot should be of certain operas. We're going to be certain opera. We're going to, I'm going to tell her the title and the main characters and she's going to create a plot. It's going to be so fun. Oh, that's so much fun. Maybe she'll compose the music too. Anyway. Thank you so much for being with us here today, Debbie. We learned so much about composing. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having thank me. Thank you. It was so nice meeting you. You too. And thank you for joining us for Opera Cheese and being brave to try that. I appreciate that. No problem. I'm really hungry now. So that's that's great. <laughs> I'm, gonna go well, I'm thinking of chicken noodles, chicken noodles. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's kind of business. Yeah, me too. Well, that concludes another episode of Kids Kids Music. Thank you for joining us, Debbie. Have a great day, everyone. Bye. (laughs) Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Kids Kids Music. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to follow us on iTunes and follow us on social media at Lane School of Music. I'm Zara Lane. And I'm Rebecca Lane. See you next time on Could Cue the Music. music.